Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, and joining me is my co-host, Jason Fordney, editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, or CEM. Jason, how are you doing today? Great, Dan. How are you? I'm, I'm doing good. Glad to see you back from uh, San Diego, where you were last week. How did that go? Yeah. Yeah, it went really well. Uh, made it back in one piece. Had a very interesting uh, couple of days at Krepsi YRAB, uh, which for people that don't know, that's the Committee on Regional Electric Power Co- Co- Cooperation and the Western Interstate Energy Board. A uh, very popular meeting and well attended and a lot of interesting topics. I've uh yeah got a couple of stories coming out of it mm-hmm. oh that's great and, and how was san diego did you have a chance to get around the city at all i've only been there once yeah i did it's it's a really lovely city um was able to get out a little bit went around the gas lamp quarter which is interesting you know the entertainment district yeah uh even did a little live band karaoke which was kind of fascinating <laughs> and uh yeah, I went down. I, I tried to get in the Midway Museum, but it was closed. But I got a look from the outside. And yeah, great city. Yeah, the only time I was there, I, uh, I took my uh, daughter, who's my oldest, who's uh, I think like three at the time. Yeah. Maybe four. We went to the Midway uh, Museum. Very cool museum. Huh. Um, that also hmm. was San Diego will forever be in my memory as the first time I heard one of my kids drop the F-bomb. Um <laughs> You know, uh, a four-year-old, actually, no, she was three. Uh, yeah, you know, we uh, we missed it. The, there's a little um, a light rail train or whatever. I forget what it's called. We we're mm-hmm. going to go catch it. And it was just pulling away as we got there. And she said, I was like, oh, we missed the train. She was, ah, ah fork, ah, fork, <laughs> we missed it. I was like, right? That seems a little, wait, what? <laughs> But you know, at least she used it in context. But uh, that's that's kids. Yeah. They're their mirror for us. <laughs> you realize, oh, maybe I need to be a little bit more selective yeah. with how I talk around my kids. I, anyways, um, I remember my daughter's first f bomb too. It's probably right the same age. It's just something <laughs> that yeah, every parent doesn't forget, I guess. But yeah, it happens. I, I tell them they're be? they're adult words. Mm-hmm. When you're an adult and you. You feel that it's like warranted to use it? You can. That's <laughs> fine. But for now, yeah. Anyways. Well, the main thing is hopefully they don't use it with regularity at that age. Which she yeah. hasn't said it since. Well, yeah. There we go. No, I don't think I've heard it come out of her again. So, <laughs> anyways, right. yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there was. Were there a lot of f bombs at Krepsi Yrab? Probably a lot of cursing. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, very civil. It's an inter- a really interesting conference. Obviously, you have a lot of state regulators there. It's a very frank discussion because it's a pretty small, tight group. Uh, I wrote my first story here for my bottom lines column, um, which had to do with transmission, discussing FERC's new notice of proposed rulemaking. And what, from what I've seen, this does not appear to be very popular proposals so far with Western um state regulators we're talking public utility commissioners here um so yeah interesting discussion a lot i I use the term side eye in my column 
the way reactors, uh, the way um, regulators are reacting to this. Uh, Cliff Rexstoffen, who is a member of the California Public Utilities Commission, is also the Western representative uh, on the FERC Federal State Task Force, which is kind of shaping the discussion around the NOPER. Um, and then uh, Tad Lavar from um, Utah is the other Western Service Commissioner. So there was a panel discussion with those two getting uh, kind of peppered um, with questions. And um, yeah, a little bit of mistrust. This is something that dynamic between Washington and the West has always been this way. Uh, Rex yeah. often said, you know, FERC is trying to avoid a problem where interconnection requests identify a need, then they drop out of the queue and are not acted on. As a result, nothing happens. That's just one small um, portion of this uh, rulemaking. I won't get into the specifics of it, but safe to say uh, it, it does include a little bit more st state participation, uh, which are some people are saying that's not going to speed up the process. That's going to slow it down. Uh, LeVar from Utah said, we need to do this in a way that respects and recognizes the individual policies of states. Um, so this can be tricky. You have different you know, renewable standards, different uh, planning approaches in the West. Um, so Ann Rendall of Washington Utilities and Transportation Commission appeared skeptical of this. Ferk Noper said, given that the West is so big, how do you make sure you're reflecting not just the views of your state, but the views of the larger West? Uh, LeVar responded um, that staff from NARUC, National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners, is getting feedback from other states to submit in the process, but he didn't really, you know, what he said was, I haven't given you a clear answer. I'm not sure there is one. I can mm -hmm. promise I'm mindful of that issue and taking it seriously and trying to be respectful of broad interests and not just representing Utah on the task force. Yeah. So, yeah, we have two. A lot, lot of grounding. Mm -hmm. So just as you can say, there's some uh, gaps there to to close between the states, like you were saying. Uh, yes, a lot of ground to to cover in between people's positions. Yeah, and I'm not sure people are so thrilled about California being one of the representatives. Um, so there seemed to be a little bit of tension there uh, from Idaho. John Chatburn from Idaho Public Utilities Commission said he's concerned FERC will forget about public land issues in the West how hard it is to cite transmission on federal lands as opposed to the East where it's a lot more private lands. But uh, yeah, this will be ongoing. The NOPR is a big deal. Um, I have my doubts in the end, just personally, whether this will lead to more transmission uh, considering that local opposition is usually the, the biggest obstacle and this process is not going to change that. No. Yeah. That's something that just is out of regulators control how uh, locals feel about it. I mean, at the yep. same time, the federal land, it's, it can be tough, but it gets around some of that. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. yeah. But still, I mean, not totally. You look at uh, the stop B2H, the Boardman to Hemingway uh, coalition that has been advocating against that transmission line uh, for many years now. Uh, even though that the transmission line, proposed transmission line from Pacific Core and Idaho Power mostly goes on federal land. I don't think it's all on federal land, um, but I don't recall the exact transmission path that they have mapped out. But it's, uh, yeah, regardless, there's 
people have a lot of concerns about aspects of the project and its effects uh, even the parts are going on federal land so yeah, yeah to your point um building transmissions complicated it turns out dear listeners oh yes and i i have to think back i think it's maybe 10 or 12 years ago you know uh FERC or doe came up with this national interest transmission quarter proposal uh and there was all about um renewables and and uh, it just went over like a, a lead balloon. They held public mm-hmm. hearings, basically got shouted down and ended, nothing ended up happening. So it, it's mm-hmm. tough. The Fed, no one really likes the federal government, especially coming in and citing large infrastructure. Yeah. So, well, speaking of federal entities and lots of infrastructure, Bonneville Power Administration started trading in the Western energy imbalance market on May 3rd. And that ended decades of market skepticism from Northwest public power utilities. Uh, The federal agency said that it thinks participating in the EIM will help BPA optimize surplus capacity and load service. Participation is expected to cost about $7 million a year for the entity, but an independent analysis by consulting firm Energy and Environmental Economics, also known as E3, forecasts BPA will save $29 $29 million to $34 million a year. Wow. Bonneville's participation in the EIM gives a big boost for the imbalance market, which is managed and operated by the California ISO or CAISO or CalISO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the BPA's participation is the latest step in the West's apparent progress towards organized markets. You can read more about that story at newsdata.com. Uh, the story by my colleague Steve Ernst, and you know one of the the founders, Pacific Core, helped start the Western EIM with Cal ISO. Uh, Twenty fourteen, yeah, yeah, and uh, it now covers like what eighty five percent of the load in the West or something like that. But the Pacific Core on April 29th, they released an all source request for proposals for new energy projects. Uh, that can connect to its 10-state transmission system. Uh, Pacific Core's most recent integrated resource plan, like the long-term 20-year projection plans that that utilities regularly do, uh, Mm -hmm. shows that the utility needs 1,345 megawatts of new wind and solar generation resources combined with 600 megawatts of co-located energy storage resources within the next six years. So Pacific Core is shopping for new energy resources. So if you've got them, Pacific Core needs them. Okay. I'll see what I can dig up. (laughs) Interesting story that EIM really turning into a major success story for for Kaiso. And as you said, sort of a precursor to and possibly a Western RTO. There's a lot of questions there whether anyone wants uh, Kaiso operating that regional market. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. There's because uh, yeah, uh, Southwest Power Pools Markets Plus is the other competitor, and it's getting a lot yeah. of attention. Yeah, it's a really an interesting time in uh, Western energy markets. So enjoying enjoying exploring that topic. I'll bring it back to California a little bit. Uh, our next story from CEM uh, and Friday's issue. California Public Utilities Commission on May 5th approved three vehicle-to-grid integration pilot programs 
valued at 11.7 million. They're aimed at promoting electric vehicle bi-directional charging among consumers. Hearing more and more discussion on this topic, uh, increasing numbers of EVs being sold across the state. Issues such as the time and places in which EVs charge to prevent grid problems is important. Uh, consumers also need assurance they're saving money and creating good benefits. This is coverage from Linda Daly Paulson. Uh, bidirectional charging is when uh, power is sent from EVs back to the grid and has potential, of course, to provide backup power during public safety power shutoffs and other emergencies. Uh, just briefly, there's three programs. One is a 7.5 million three-year B2G program designed to increase light duty EV adoption by providing 1,000 PG&E single family residential customers with rebates. Another 2.7 million three-year pilot program is aimed at increasing adoption of medium and heavy duty EVs charging at commercial buildings by providing equipment and incentives. And a 1.5 million pilot designed to support vehicle to microgrid charging and discharging for public safety power shutoff events by providing incentives. So some activity there in V2G from the Public Utilities Commission. What else is happening in Northwest? Well, so the Northwest has entered a new era of nuclear energy development. This time, though, the focus is on smaller, more flexible projects with some pretty remarkable remarkably tight development deadlines. So News Data hosted a virtual conference April 26th on small modular nuclear development in the Northwest to learn more about the project's plan for the region and about the challenges facing developers who are trying to bring new resources online as soon as 2028 in some cases. So currently the world's only operational small modular nuclear reactor or, or SMR is run by Russia aboard the barge academic Lomonsov, which is also the world's first floating nuclear power plant. It began commercial operation in May 2020 and consists of two 35-megawatt light water reactors repurposed from former icebreakers in the Arctic Ocean. Historically, the Northwest has pursued nuclear power to meet expected load growth, some of which has never materialized, though. Today's project projects are driven by decarbonization. The emission-free resources can help integrate renewable energy resources. And if all goes according to plan, by 2030, the Northwest could have more than 1,100 megawatts of carbon-free SMR generation online. Now, one of the leaders, Utah in development, Utah Associated Municipal Power Systems and New Scale Power are developing a 462 megawatt project at the Idaho National Laboratory that could be online by 2029. The plant will be able to ramp up from 20% to 100% capacity in about 27 minutes and ramp down from 100% to 20% in only about eight minutes using a turbine bypass method. Speaking of new scale power in another story, uh, it completed its merger with Spring Valley Acquisition, a publicly traded special purpose acquisition company uh, that completed earlier this month. Shares of the company are listed on the New York Stock Exchange as New Scale Power and under the ticker symbol SMR. The merger gives New Scale access to enough cap capital to uh, accelerate the commercialization of its 77 megawatt small modular nuclear reactor technology, which it's marketing as the Voyager Power Module. So 
Jason, uh, what else do you have going on in the, uh, in California? Well, we had some drought news. Um, this is, this is some of our Friday coverage. Actually the past couple of days, um, I woke up to snow this morning up in the Sierra. I live at about 5,000 feet. Uh, so we are getting a little bit of uh, respite from, um, the, uh, the drought here, but, um, there is historic drought and low runoff into the Colorado Colorado River Basin, which uh, prompted the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation to take, quote, urgent, extraordinary measures, unquote, to protect Lake Powell and preserve hydroelectric power generation capability at Glen Canyon Dam. Uh, under a 2019 drought contingency plan, 500,000 acre feet of water will be released into Lake Powell, while the annual release from Glen Canyon Dam will be reduced from 7.48 million acre feet to about 7 million acre feet. Mm. This will keep an additional 480,000 acre feet in Lake Powell, uh, which aligns with operational guidelines for Glen Canyon and Hoover dams. Uh, the, the changes are designed to support Lake Powell from May 2022 until April 23, and should result in an elevation increase of about 16 feet. But yeah, we're in a pretty serious situation with the um, the reservoir levels here starting to affect hydro going into summer and uh, just one of the many moving pieces in California and the West energy landscape. That's yeah, about it from CEM. That, that drought, uh, which we hopefully we'll get some better news at some point. Well, uh, coming out of central Washington to New, next generation battery companies have announced plans to open up factories in Moses Lake in central Washington. Uh, the two companies, Group 14 Technologies and Scylla Nanotechnologies, are making batteries for electric for the electric vehicle market. They say their new battery technologies can boost duration and energy density of lithium-ion batteries. The two companies aren't working together. They're pursuing their own uh, separate battery technologies. And uh, both companies do say their batteries can plug into existing EVs with no modifications needed. So they're coming to Central Washington. Uh, they were attracted, both of them were attracted by Central Washington's cheap electricity. And their proposed plants will be in Grant County PUD service territory. Grant PUD has worked with county economic development officials in uh, for several years to attract new industries to the area, uh, including like BMW produces some of its composite material there. Mitsubishi Aircraft has been doing flight testing there. Uh, they've really done a great job of attracting, landing some pretty impressive industrial customers. And uh, you can read more about that at newsdata.com. Also, want to let listeners know that the sixth annual Pacific Northwest Wholesale Power Markets Conference is coming up June 23rd and 24th. The virtual conference is hosted by News Data and CJB Energy Economics. If you want to know the latest on the current energy market conditions and to learn about near term market outlooks around the West, register now. You can find information for it at newsdata.com. Well, that's all from me. As always, please rate and review this podcast and let other people know about it. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at DCatchpole. And my co-host, Jason Fordney, is on Twitter at Fordney Energy. Yes, thanks, Dan. And thanks, everybody, for listening to News Data's Energy West. You can read more of our coverage at newsdata.com. Nobody covers energy in the West like we do. 
follow us on Twitter. CEM is at CEM News Data. That's the letter CEM News Data. Clearing up is at CU News Data. Again, that's the letter CU News Data. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Tomorrow. 